demo, it is less than two weeks until our brand new event, the Wellness Base Camp, hits Adelaide. Oh, I can't wait, MP. Oh, Damo, we can't wait to have you in Adelaide. The Brisbane Base Camp was a sellout. The feedback from attendees was inspiring. Christine said, keep up the incredible work and energy. You make me feel so, so good. And Kira said, I loved all the speakers and the vibe in the room. So many aha moments. And Lauren said, no matter how many times I hear each of these people speak, I learn new things always and have action steps to take away. Can't wait to have you there, great man. The rock star of wellness is joining Kim Morrison, JP and Andy from Smashed Avocado, Brett Hill and myself at the Wellness Base Camp Saturday, April 7th at the Arca Bar in Adelaide. Two for one tickets available with the code COUNTDOWN at www.thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or search for The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. That code again is COUNTDOWN with tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or by typing The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide in Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 165 of the Real Food Reel, we are again joined by Ali McLean on the mic and together, Ali and I explore the question, do I need to be in ketosis? You will learn what is ketosis? why this is definitely not ketoacidosis, if ketones need to be measured, the difference between ketosis and LCHF, when ketosis isn't appropriate for an athlete, and so much more. Let's dive in. Big topic for us to discuss today, nutritional ketosis. So if you've been listening to The Real Food Real for a while, you'll know that this is a topic that we've actually discussed quite a bit in the past. We've had experts on the field on to talk about the applications of nutritional ketosis to support type 2 diabetic sufferers, to support those with epilepsy. Um, and even last year, we had Angela Poff on to discuss nutritional ketosis for cancer sufferers, which was a really interesting episode. But today, Steph and I would like to come at this from a slightly different angle, perhaps one that um, will relate more to you as individuals and and your nutrition, because we want to talk about the application of nutritional ketosis for athletes. So whether you're a lunchtime, lunchtime gym goer or a seasoned triathlete, what Steph and I would like to do today is really bust some myths around nutritional ketosis so that it, if it is something you've been thinking about playing around with, then at least you go about it the right way. Because I'm sure Steph can agree, all too often we get people coming into the clinic who say, say they've tried nutritional ketosis but it hasn't worked for them. So today's session is all about busting some of those age-old myths and making sure that you can go about this in the right way for you. Would you agree, Steph? 
Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to dive in to this topic today, um, especially because it's such a hot topic at the moment and we're seeing a lot of different, I guess, responses to the concept, but a lot of mistakes as well that I really wanted to clarify today. And the aim of this episode is to address the question, do I need to be in ketosis? But how about we start with some foundational stuff first? Definitely. I think we need to start a little bit from the beginning and talk about, you know, what is ketosis? Perhaps not, you know, a 10-minute sort of biology lesson here, but just a really quick overview for those people that haven't listened to our previous episodes on ketosis. Yeah, for sure. So ketosis is actually a normal metabolic state, and it's where some of the body's energy supply comes from ketone bodies in the blood. So this happens when blood glucose levels are no longer providing the bulk of the energy and we're starting to burn fat for fuel. So a byproduct of fat oxidation are these acids, which we know as ketones. So I just wanted to mention that it is a normal metabolic state. There's a lot of fear around this word, I feel. There is. Um, And I also think just to really define that actual nutritional ketosis, we know it's the 1.5 to 3 millimole per litre, but ketone bodies over 0.5 can definitely be classed as ketosis and beneficial to the individual, which we'll explore further today. Um, But it's really important to remember that it's a natural metabolic state that occurs when you burn fat for fuel. I think that's an important one to highlight, Steph, because um, for for those individuals who perhaps have been into the the doctor's clinic or talking with their friends about nutritional ketosis and they get scared because people start talking about um, ketoacidosis, uh, which is a life-threatening condition, you know, the two are quite separate or quite different but because of the word keto in there, people put the two together. Oh, totally. And the ketoacidosis is like, you know, something of consideration to, for diabetics, absolutely. And it's when ketone levels get too high that it's actually life-threatening. But the thing about ketosis is that, especially in context, which everything is in context for our athletes today, as we've already discussed, that's our our topic, our target audience, Mm. you know, we're talking about people that are metabolically healthy and obviously it's that optimal zone. It's not more as better as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned numbers before you mentioned, um, you know, whether we should be looking at being between 1.5 to three millimoles per liters, uh, when it comes to ketone bodies or whether 0.5 is okay you know, the sort of people that we're working with, hopefully people listening to this, you know, take this in the right right way, but the sort of people that we're working with are very results-driven, very numbers-driven. Um, so do we need to be looking at those numbers specifically to ensure that we're doing the, the best for our, for our performance? You know, do we need to be testing daily multiple times a day to get an idea of what our ketone levels are like? Yeah. I'm really glad you raised this question because, you know, you're being quite polite. We're actually dealing with a lot of A-type personalities. I'm always polite, Steph. (laughs) Very numbers driven and sometimes can be a little bit too insular at the detriment of their health and wellness and performance goals. But 
to answer your question and our main aim today, do I need to be in ketosis? Like if we talk about that from a nutritional ketosis standpoint, which is defined as the 1.5 to 3 millimoles per liter, the short answer is not necessarily. Like it's always, it depends, like it's in context, right? But I strongly believe that measuring is not the answer. And we'll talk about, you know, some more detail there shortly. But the real aim is to start to be quite intuitive with signs and signals that your body is giving you that you are burning fat for fuel. Definitely, definitely. I think we need to be really across what those signs are because you just don't want to be tied up in the bathroom peeing on sticks looking at what your ketone levels are like on a daily basis. Yeah. have to deal with. Totally. And look, there are other ways. Obviously, we've got urine, we've got breath, and we've got blood options. And I'm not saying that, you know, no one's going to benefit from taking stock and checking in what their levels are. It can be beneficial in some instances. But, you know, I was thinking back to my very first job as a nutritionist, and we ran this program where it was, you know, ultra-low carbohydrate and they, the, you know, the protocol was peeing on a urine stick every morning. And, you know, there's a lot of problems with that, that type of testing, um, especially with the individual variances that we see across a population. And, you know, these clients were getting really disheartened and frustrated because the colours on the pee stick weren't in the right zone and that led to like, you know, definitely frustration and stress and ultimately compliance issues. So it became a real negative. And as I say all the time, like we know how detrimental stress is for our metabolism, our mental health, our long-term health. So choosing this zone and then stressing about not hitting those numbers is absolutely futile. Yeah, precisely. And you want people to be thinking about the benefits of being in ketosis, right? As opposed to being stressed about this number, you know, they may still actually be feeling some benefits as a, as a result of the changes, the changes they're making to their diet and lifestyle. And you want people to be thinking about that rather than just whether or not they're achieving ketosis or those strict figures. Yeah. And I think that's why I prefer to use the terminology about burning fat for fuel or being fat adapted because all of the benefits and all of the signs and signals that your body gives you can be achieved without you having to hit that that 1.5 to 3 zone um, nor take things too far and and turn this into what is no longer a sustainable strategy. Mm. So interested, I know we're spending a bit of time on this measurement side of things, but to get started, do you think athletes should firstly do some testing so they can associate what those, what those levels of ketones look like and how they feel? Or do you think it's more important that we actually just get a gauge of how we feel when we start to become better at burning fat for fuel? I absolutely think the signals and the signs that your body is giving you, such as, you know, long window meal to meal, the blood sugar control and satiety that comes with that, long overnight fast, fasted training, like obviously low to moderate intensity, but, you know, all these things that are definitely not possible when you've got a sugar burning metabolism and you're on that blood sugar roller coaster. Like these are the signs that show you that you're on the 
fat adaptation journey. You know, it's not saying that you're at the end or optimal, but you're definitely burning fat if you're able to decrease your meal frequency and if you're not hangry at 3.30 and starving when you wake up um, and obviously needing lots of fuel in those longer aerobic training sessions. Mm -hmm. So these are really, really awesome signs that you can certainly track over the journey where you're making the food and, and lifestyle changes. The measurement, as I mentioned, like some of the devices are based on the metabolically unhealthy. But the other side of it is that when you're really fat adapted, you actually are really good at burning ketones. So they're not actually circulating in the bloodstream anymore. So often you can actually get what is a false negative result. It looks like you're not um, producing a lot of ketones, mm. but it because, it's because you're metabolizing them. So then you can see how someone that's in the middle who's healthy is getting false negative results kind of on either sides because the devices are for the metabolically unhealthy. Then they're getting fat adapted and they're utilizing those ketones and they're no longer available to actually be measured. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so lots of problems there. Um, in saying that, there's an exception to every rule and some people do like to get a sense of where they're, where they're standing, but I would definitely prioritise that for, you know, you know, my diabetics or people that are using it for that metabolic situation, which we're not dealing with here today. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So some of those some of those indicators that athletes are on the right track that you mentioned are things like opening up that, that window from meal to meal, um, you know, no longer having those cases of the hangries mid afternoon, being able to go out for, for, for sessions uh, on a, on an empty stomach. What are some of the other benefits to transitioning to burning fat? fuel what are some of the key reasons that you see people coming into clinic oh my gosh where do I start (laughs) I think it's a bit of a loaded question oh it's a great question because again this comes back to being able to you know track and tap into what changes you're experiencing at that individual level Mm. you know day to day it's all about the blood sugar control which is the mental clarity the craving control the avoidance of 330-itis that we've sort of already discussed. Um, But sort of beyond that, we definitely see amazing weight management benefits because we know our conventional model in the athlete space is promoting more and more sugar burning, which is spiking our insulin and putting us in a fat storage mode. So then our only answer is to eat less and then we're under-fueling and causing metabolic disruption and so on and so forth. Whereas obviously when you're burning fat for fuel, you can achieve a really great body composition without affecting your health and wellness goals, which is very important. Mm. Um, training and racing, it's absolutely life-changing. You know, when you burn fat for fuel, most of us have hundreds of thousands of calories available to burn as our predominant fuel, especially aerobic athletes that are in that you know that optimal heart rate zone for fatty acid oxidation so then we've got decreased reliance on your sports gels and gatorade and coke and all the things that we see on course in endurance events which is 
beautiful from a logistical standpoint. You know, I always make the joke about the bikes we see in T1 at a triathlon that have, you know, 21 gels taped to the top tube. And I like to get a sneaky pick of that just for a bit of a chuckle. But, you know, ultimately that's that poor athlete doesn't know there's another way than mm. relying on yeah. only having muscle glycogen available and, and therefore needing so much exogenous fuel. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously the two problems that then go hand in hand with that situation is one, the GI distress that comes from needing to try to digest high volumes of carbohydrates when your heart rate, you know, is not promoting that parasympathetic zone where digestion is optimal. Mm. Um, and obviously hitting the wall because, you know, you've only got 2000 calories of muscle glycogen if you're lucky, if you're a well-trained male. So beyond 2,000 calories, you need sports nutrition um, and, you know, you simply cannot put back in what you need. Mm -hmm. So your body has to slow down. So you end up either having a pretty poor back end of your session or race or you literally hit the wall and crawl home, mm. which is a pretty ugly experience mm. and I don't mm. wish that upon anyone. Not at all. I mean, mm. they're... They have historically been mm. my biggest fears when it comes to running marathons and that is whether I'm going to get GI distress on the day or whether I'm going to bonk towards the end. And thankfully for me, you know, that's, they're very much concerns of the past. Mm. I don't have those anymore. Yeah. The other thing I just wanted to add to that is the perspective of what fat or how fat burns as a fuel like we say quite simply it's a clean fuel quote unquote but I think that's a really important conversation to expand on because clean fuel means that it's not actually burning and producing these reactive oxygen species and the natural opposite is true when we look at sugar so when you burn sugar you're producing these reactive oxygen species which is essentially inflammation that the body has to mop up so what we see in sugar burning athletes is chronic injuries that are unresolved with strength training and physio and myo and 14 different appointments with practitioners across a month so injury prevention is another really important part um, but ultimately moving away from inflammation is one our athletic longevity and two, avoidance of chronic disease. We know that inflammation is the cause of most, if not all, chronic diseases. So shouldn't we be trying to burn a fuel that is anti-inflammatory in nature? And ketones have phenomenal anti-inflammatory properties. So do I need to be in nutritional ketosis? No, probably not. But are ketones beneficial? And therefore, should I be burning fat for fuel? 100% yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you got me thinking about the fact that a lot of, a lot of athletes actually come talking to talk to us, you know, um, sports nutritionists to find out about their race day fueling. You know, they come in, they want to talk about the sexy stuff, like what they should be fueling with on the, on race day, the night before the week of, but in actual fact, what you're saying is that it's the day to day nutrition that we that really needs to be considered to set these athletes up for success on race day so they can consume less and they can experience the benefits of not having to take on as much fuel on race day so when it comes to becoming fat adapted 
or teaching your body to burn fat for fuel, what are some of the foundations that our athletes need to consider? Yeah, well, I mean, number one is jerf, and you've made a really good point because, you know, we're kind of in this society that's looking for a magic pill, right? So we forget about the choices that we're making every day and how significant they are. So the choices that you make about what goes on your plate is the, the number one choice that, you know, is going to create health and wellness, but absolutely to optimise your metabolism and allow you to burn fat for fuel and therefore obviously produce these ketones. So just eat real food is number one. And then we look at this sort of sliding spectrum, as I always refer to, um, in terms of what your ideal macronutrient breakdown is. So, you know, traditionally we talk about LCHF, um, and I think one of the kind of myths um, around that is that it's a fixed number, which I, you know, completely disagree with. I always look at it as a sliding spectrum. So, you know, we know our diabetics are suited to the left-hand side of the spectrum and we know our lean, metabolically healthy, usually male athletes are to the right-hand side of the spectrum. And there are blood tests that we can do to learn more about where one should sit on that spectrum. But ultimately, it's lower carbohydrate than the food pyramid, which is a bloody good thing. Um, And then it's individualized to things like genetics, body compositional goals, and activity levels. Yeah. So what you're saying here is that it's lower carbohydrate, higher fat, Mm. not to be mistaken for no carbohydrate, higher fat. Yeah, well, I think most of our athletes who hopefully are metabolically healthy, you know, they can probably even hit nutritional ketosis on more than 50 grams a day, whereas that conventional, like old-school Atkins or the really conventional Mm -hmm. ketosis definition is like your 20 to 25. So we're talking double or more of the carbs, right? So that's going to make a significant difference to even just like how much you can enjoy your food, not to mention nutrients, gut health, top end speed, which I'm sure we'll explore a little bit more. But, you know, ultimately it's super individualized and that's a myth I really keep probably harping on about, but I'm so sick of everyone putting themselves in this 20 gram or 25 gram bucket. But it's it's bullshit. It, It would barely apply to anyone, especially if you're metabolically healthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, listeners out there, you can't just pick up a book about ketosis, read it word for word and start following it because if you are training for a marathon, triathlon, Ironman triathlon, then it's not going to work for you. Totally, and I think that's really important because, you know, speaking of myths, we always hear the naysayers about ketosis are the ones that I think assume it's 25 grams a day and then say, I don't want to do ketosis because I'll get slow. And firstly, again, they've totally just, um, I don't know, Googled, asked Mm. Dr. Google about the the number of grams, assume that's what they need to do, um, and not factored in metabolism, genetics, level of intensity or, you know, volume of training. Um, So it's really important that we create some clarity in this space because being fat adapted is the best of both worlds. You know, we call it metabolically flexible because, yeah, you want to burn fat, but of course you still want to be able to 
burn glycogen via glycolysis so you can perform on race day and obviously hit your goals for your high intensity session so you've got two fuel tanks isn't that smarter than just one definitely Mm. definitely i'm really glad you talked on that because yes there are lots of naysayers who say that you will lose your speed if you become a fat adapted athlete um or if you're not carb loading Mm. on on race day Totally. But, you know, that comes back to doing it properly, which is why I think, you know, it's really important to not use Dr. Google or a book where you haven't got the individualization available. Um, But also to talk on that metabolic gray zone, right? Because you can lose a little bit of speed in the first four to seven days, but that's a really good process to go through. And, you know, if you've been following a Western diet and suddenly, A, you're cutting out refined carbohydrates and B, you know, managing your macros for the first time in your life. Like to me, it's not a surprise that you're going to feel a little bit different because you're not relying on sugar every two hours. Certainly wouldn't be a surprise. It's Mm. just a matter of, I think, managing expectations Mm. and making sure that our athletes aren't going out and doing an an intense session, you know, two days into embarking on LCHF. Do you think that's right? You're yeah, managing those sure. expectations. It's always about the expectations, but I think absolutely, like especially if you know you're listening today and you're thinking, "Awesome, this is something I want to try." Like the timing of it is very important. Like, don't just start tomorrow, especially if you've got a big weekend of training, you've got high intensity sessions next week, time trials, whatever is on the program. Like I always get my athletes to talk to their coach to either do it in the off season or at least do it in a recovery week. So you're not making life harder for yourself because, you know, especially um, if you've been like following an Ironman diet, you're going to be having like 400 or 600 grams of carbs a day. So that process of coming off that fuel is like coming off a drug. Like it's literally a withdrawal process. So some people like, you know, they are sugar junkies. So the process can be, you know, it can be managed, don't get me wrong, but you've got to be doing it at the right time. I think that's a really important decision to talk to your coach or to, you know, time it with what's going on in your world. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise you are just going to become frustrated with the process You know, if you start Mm. changing your diet one day, the next day you've got a big session, you don't get out of that session what you were hoping to, you blame it on nutritional changes where really Mm. you could avoid that by just starting at a slightly different time. Totally. And that's, I think, what's so important. But also because, you know, people then throw the towel in seven days later and say it doesn't work. Like, you know, that's why I don't want to fear. I don't want to put any fear into the conversation. I want you to be aware that it's a process. So if you're not feeling amazing to start with, except that that's to do with what you're putting your body through you know, prior to starting and you've got to give a little bit of time because it takes time to switch over to being able to access fat or fuel. Yeah. How much time? I think that's the ultimate question. Oh, look, I always say four to seven days, but how long is a piece of string? Like, again, you know, that conventional model is so high in carbs and very focused on refined carbohydrates, which perpetuates things like sugar cravings and the consumption of refined sugar, which is then that sort of detox slash withdrawal process as well as that metabolic change. But it, you really shouldn't be feeling um, too like bad after seven days. And, and if you are, you're probably in the deep end and you need to learn to live in the grey. 
<laughs> we know that our audience are usually pretty black and white, so living in the grey will be a bit of a transition. I think it's been a, um, yeah, like an epiphany for a lot of people that I've been talking to about that lately. They've realised their own, you know, so I think strong personality traits, like A-typers are successful and driven and, like, you know, amazing humans, but, you know, per- Positive personality traits, if taken too far, can absolutely be a negative. So it's just about balancing things out. Yeah. Yeah. On that subject, we know that what we eat and our nutrition is so important to be able to become fat adapted. You mentioned before stress Mm. and how that can limit our ability to become fat adapted. Now, this is something that I am... I guess really, really conscious of because it is such a huge limiting factor, you know, especially athletes putting their bodies under physical stress, but also potentially not sleeping enough because, you know, they're cramming in their training hours, they're fitting in a full-time job and often got a family to manage as well. So is there any, any points or comments that you wanted to make around that, around that stress piece? Yeah, look, I think... We've said it before, but it's a, it's definitely worthwhile connecting to this conversation. I mean, firstly, measuring ketones can be quite stressful for some people. So too can be counting or measuring carbohydrates. I think 25 grams a day is bloody hard. I know not everyone feels like that, but, you know, counting carbs at the expense of non-starchy veggies to me is stupid. Um, and we'll talk about, like, the gut health implications of a poorly formulated plate um but we need to acknowledge the impact of stress because it will impair your body's ability to burn fat which will of course impair your ketone production so then you obviously won't be accessing the mental clarity benefits the anti-inflammatory benefits the satiety benefits and all the health benefits that come with that lifestyle that we've covered today and you know a number of times on the real food reel but you know ultimately This is why it's not just about food and exercise. You know, there's lots of reasons why the calorie fallacy is bullshit, but it has also taken us away from having a holistic approach to health, which we know it absolutely needs to be about lifestyle factors like stress management Mm -hmm. to optimise your metabolism because cortisol will shut off any fat burning. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So to anybody out there who wonders why we do spend so much time talking about looking at meditation practice or the inclusion of yoga in your training schedule, this is why. Yeah, it's really important to consider, especially if you if you feel like ketosis hasn't worked for you. Yeah. Like you spoke before about clients that come into you and, you know, maybe they've tried it and not done it so well, but, you know, ultimately if you're a stress head, it's not going to work because you'll be doing all the things like building your plate and setting up your meal windows and you'll be extending your overnight fast and hopefully you'll be going out for your long aerobic sessions um, empty. But if you're a stressor, like it's not going to work. You're going to be hitting your head against a wall. What about other, other things that might put our body in a state of stress? Mm. So if somebody feels like they have got the stress management piece down pat um, and they've, they've got their nutrition um, fairly well sorted mm. as well. You know, they're following following the guidelines that we give them. What other things could be contributing to stress internally? Yeah, well, number one is absolutely gut health. Like, and this is a topic of its own and one mm. I can't wait to explore with you in the near future. But 
The real issue with a poorly formulated plate or definitely in this ketosis area, if you've picked up a book and you've just assumed that you need to fit into a certain gram per day, is that what you're doing is you're counting your carbs at the expense of your veggies, which, you know, is where we get the bulk of our nutrients from. So then obviously, you know, not only are you not getting the nutrients that you need to thrive, but you're not feeding your, your gut bugs, right? So we know that the right types of carbohydrates, including our, you know, things like non-starchies, like obviously asparagus and onions and garlics and artichokes, but also the more complex carbs, like our cooked and cooled sweet potato, potato, or even a bit of basmati rice, these are really important foods. These become what we call resistant starch, and it's resistant because technically you know, it bypasses digestion in the small intestine. So it goes directly to the large intestine to feed the good bugs. Now, you know, we are 1% human and 99% bugs, right? So it's really significant that we look after our gut and we need to be making sure that we're not counting carbs at the expense of the food for our gut bugs. Absolutely huge priority. Yeah, precisely. Mm. So gut Gut health testing is something that we do a lot of in the clinic, especially for those that potentially aren't progressing on their fat adaption mm-hmm. journey mm-hmm. because that that's where we need to go. That's how deep we need to go. Yeah, well, the other side to it is obviously what we see is, you know, everyone's got a degree of dysbiosis and what I mean by that is imbalance, right? But any kind of overgrowth is a huge stressor for the body, right? So again, you might be meditating like a guru and hitting your yogas and things like that. But if your body's got a pathogenic overgrowth, like no amount of yoga is going to decrease the stress, right? Because your body is dealing with that every second of every day. So I actually find this so fascinating because, you know, a lot of people that come to see us are quite dialed in, right? They know about fat adaptation. They've been doing LCHF but they're hitting these roadblocks. So for me, I put my little, you know, Sherlock Holmes hat on and we start to think about, all right, what are the roadblocks that we haven't yet explored? And stool testing is usually one that we turn to first because of, you know, the significance of gut health. But because we know that we're living in a world, unfortunately, where we are exposed to a lot of pharmaceuticals, um, toxins, our food supply is international. So even if we haven't traveled to, you know, Bali or India and had those really conventional, you know, situations of um, gastro, we're still exposed to either parasites or overgrowth. And that absolutely needs to be addressed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm glad that we're talking about this today because for those who are listening, who have been following the natural nutritionist for a while and have been doing their LCHF, and perhaps want to know what's next. Yeah, what's next? Mm. Um, if they're not getting the results thereafter, mm. I think that gut health piece is is really important and not to be underestimated. For sure. We, I mean, the science is crystal clear. The gut-brain access is everything. Like the vagus nerve connects the brain to the gut and there's billions of communication tr- channels which are so important for mental health and mental cognition and obviously then we come back to the gut where we look at nutrient absorption so we could be jerfing and lchfing and eating all the plants but if your gut health is poor and you're not absorbing your nutrients like you are what you can absorb right you are what you eat but you are absolutely what you can absorb yeah that's that's the new saying that we go by Mm -hmm. you are what you absorb Mm. Such a fascinating area, though. I love it. Yeah, there's so much to discuss, and I feel like we 
I feel like we have just skimmed the surface that we could go into more detail. Mm. We didn't really get a chance to talk about some things like exogenous ketones, which I know some of our athletes are starting to ask the question about. So we might need to we might need to set up a follow up to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the aim of today absolutely was to to break those myths down, and I hope now that you understand that the you are producing ketones if you're burning fat for fuel. There's obviously a huge array of benefits which we want you experience to experience firsthand. But you may not need to be in nutritional ketosis. Um, and neither do you necessarily need to to obtain all those benefits. I'd love to come back on and talk about gut health for athletes, exogenous ketones. And if you have any questions that have been raised from today's episode, definitely get in touch via the naturalnutritionist.com.au. Um, there's a contact area on our website. We'd love to hear your questions and we'll definitely make sure we cover them in the near future. Yeah, send them on through, gang. Thank you, Steph. As always, so much amazing information to share. And uh, hopefully we've given our listeners some food for thought today. For sure. Look forward to chatting again soon. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.